Hey, this is Warren from Taming Sorry, and you're listening to On The Fly with Stevie and Jason. You are listening to On The Fly. What's up, guys? On the fly, back again. And look, continuing our 80s theme, we did not the best, our best, like what? What was it? One top five movies, songs, albums of 1980. 1980 last week. And now this week, continuing that 80s theme. This is one. And guys, this is one of the big stars for me from the 80s. This guy was in so many great movies from the 80s. Uh, you, a lot of you guys remember from Ambitious and Babysitting. Uh, don't tell mom the babysitters did. The dishes are done, dude. That, I mean, everybody classic, that. classic but, line, man. Classic. Uh, there's so many. Look, like I told him before we went on air, that's not even my two favorite movies that he was in back then. There was, there's a lot more back then, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But with us tonight is a uh, great actor, Mr. Keith Coogan. What's up, Keith? How you doing, buddy? <sighs> Uh, great to be here, guys. Thank you, uh, Stevie and Warden. Uh, I just feel so serious. Yes, sir. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, no, I love talking here. about movies, my own other movies. I'm not, I, I, I played a lot of versions of either myself or other narcissistic actors, and it's just so <laughs> easy to skewer actors. I just genuinely love, uh, love the, love the movies. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, Talk a little bit. You you grew up in California, of course, and your your grandfather. I know Warden wants to talk about this a little bit. We'll just start off with that. Your grandfather was somebody, and I didn't really realize who your grandfather was till we started doing research on this. Uh, but go ahead, Warden. You want to ask him about that? I know you do. Okay, I grew up in the '80s, back when we didn't have cable, so we had this little thing called PBS, <laughs> and they used to run a lot of Charlie Chaplin movies, and I remember the movie the kid and i watched it and it you know typical charlie chaplin great actor just you know keeps you mesmerized lo and behold you know a few years later you see him on the adams family i had no i mean i knew this i've known this for a while but do you do you ever surprise people knowing that your grandfather was not only uncle fester but also in the kid with charlie chaplin uh, there are many people that uh, see that kind of straddle of his career, and uh, some, you know, are more familiar with Adam's family probably than you know only the kid and no Adam's family. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that and the Coogan Act, they'll tell me, oh, did you know that he had a law? I'm very familiar with the law. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and uh, that he what that. We watched Adam's Family at home. We'd watch it, and no one was, you know. There's actors that are like, I don't watch my work, or I don't watch daily. So I'm like, screw that. I'll watch anything anytime. You know, a new streaming service fires. I'm like, they have my yeah. Lobo episode. Let's watch that. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and it, when I, I was growing up, my grandfather had told what I thought were tall tales. I was the biggest movie star in the world, and. You know, top box office star in 1923. I'm like, sure, Grandpa, go to bed. Uh, and uh, he was kind of a rascally old, you know, a typical like, imagine like a retired veteran in his chair, 
uh, with a never-ending supply of iced tea and uh, opinions on that what's on the television. That's typical <laughs> grandpa, right? Uh, and then every once in a while, his own shows on TV, right? Uh, and uh, and but you know all of it, um, uh, and all of his other work. He was like the most hated man in America on the Brady Bunch when uh, they're backing out of the parking lot and they hit the guy and they go to court and they're yeah. asking him to lie. And he's the guy oh, with yeah. the neck brace, and they and then Mike Brady throws the briefcase, and he turns around, and the judge knows he's full of it. <laughs> I did not realize that was him. I did not realize that was him. He okay. did tons of uh, the Lucy Show, yeah, Perry Mason, five Perry Masons at least, Wild Wild West, oh, uh, wow. pretty pretty regular on that. Um, was in Shakiest Gun in the West, not spare, not um. Don Knotts, uh, yep. Uh, unfortunately, I think he was in Brownface in as an Indian. Anyway, uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah, we catch him on weird things, and now we set the TiVo to record um, three names: Keith Mitchell, Keith Coogan, and Jackie Coogan, uh, and it'll catch my childhood work, my you know team right. and up work, yeah. and then anything he did, and we get to see the wildest things come up that it'll record. It's great. I yeah, saw an so interview you, with, uh, it was you and your mom and it was on YouTube and, and it showed you and your grandfather walking along the beach. And, it, and it's like, that was really cool. Cause I mean, I have memories of my grandfather too, but man, sounds like you guys are really close. I mean, that was, that was really cool to see that. Cause it wasn't, there wasn't a, it wasn't a movie. It was just an interview with you and your mom that just was for real. That's what it looked like to me. It was yeah. But we're all, we're all a bunch of, uh, old Hollywood whores <laughs> that had this, it might've been shot either for 2020 it wound yeah. up in Hollywood's Children, a uh, documentary on child actors. There's some great interviews with my grandfather in that. And um, so we knew they're like, they're coming to the house. So, you know, when your mom like cleans up extra for, you know, certain yeah, company. Yeah. 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 Imagine that with a lot of yelling and screaming and, and <laughs> keys being thrown. Uh, and uh, I love it when uh, I see uh, crowds, uh, audiences loading in for a show in LA. And you can just see they dressed up for it. They're going to be on camera in the audience, you know, a second or two yeah. when they sh shoot the audience during game shows or reality shows. But I know that that whole day, that woman or guy was like, I had the show tonight. Don't, don't know. I, and I'm like, you're just going to. So there's actors just have no perspective. It's very funny. Anyway, I'm sure there's a question in there. I have so much ADHD. Like there's extra letters. There's A, D, C, D, L. That's a cat. Squirrel. All right. No, so, I just thought it was. I thought it was very cool. It was just a very cool. Yeah, it, it took a lot of work. Looks like it sounds like, but hey, look like it was worth it. <laughs> so you you started out uh, at what two years old? You were on TV as early as two, and then <laughs> yes. Uh, but the, the looking at the shows you were on, I mean, it's, it's so weird. Coincidentally, my grandfather did a movie called Skinner's Baby at about a year and a half, which is about how old I was. Uh, there maybe two, uh, and uh, and then the kid came out of five, and I joined the union at six. I'd done a few extra stand-in. Didn't get paid for standing in a McDonald's commercial. That's when we got the agent and went union and all that stuff. My mom's like, "How do we get paid?" And they're like, "Was it a union job?" They're like, "No." Oh, that's how you get paid. Oh, cool. Um, so go on. Uh, yes, I yeah, but, I mean, there was just, a weird similarity looking, for him and him. And looking I. at, I mean. Little House on the Prairie, uh, yes. the, Wal the Waltons, the Love Boat, like you mentioned earlier, 
Fantasy Island, Laverne and Shirley, Morgan Mindy, Eight is Enough, Knight Rider, Growing Pain, Silver Spoons, Fame, and Chips. I mean, that's like wow. that's like my whole childhood right there that I watched that. I mean, really. But I have to ask you, I don't know, have, was it one episode of Morgan Mindy you were on? The last uh, episode. How was it working <laughs> with Robin Williams, though? Interesting. Uh, <laughs> he was, you could, you know, work with him. Uh, Jonathan Winters just ignored me entirely. And, oh yeah. You know, that was, that was disappointing. Um, he was doing, uh, Jonathan Winters backstage was doing little bits of my mom kind of pushed me. She's like, go play with him, go play. And I'm like, uh, she always wanted me to do improv. I'm like, I, I want a script. I don't want to come up with a story. I'm not a story writer. I'm an actor. Uh, and so I hated improv exercises and stuff, but she was right. forcing me to, she during a table re, or no during a blocking rehearsal, she made me jump in and start improvising with uh, Robin Williams. And oh, he wow. kind of looked at me. I said something off script. He looked at me and he's like, "Oh, really?" He's like, "He ate me alive." <laughs> I just I had no. He ate me six ways. Uh, I can't imagine. Jonathan Winters would not him. include me in his bit, and uh, that it hurt my feelings as a kid. But I also went. I know he's a crazy old man. Uh, that's fine. Everybody says he's crazy. Uh, I thought I could learn something from him. Yeah, I mean, and any of the other ones you want to ask him about, Ward? I uh, have a connection to you kind of with this one. Uh, I was telling Stevie about it earlier. Um, Laura Ingalls Wilder. I <laughs> lived in a small town called Mansfield, Missouri, where she lived her last few years and wrote the books. So I actually went to Loringles Water Elementary. Yes, there is such a thing. Oh, so, I'm sure I, there is. Yes. <laughs> I was always curious. I heard I've heard good about him and bad about him. How was Michael Landon? One oh, of great. Of course, oh, one of our childhood. Yeah. Everybody the wanted him to be your dad. The glowing golden lamp. Did you ever see the lion, the witch in the wardrobe or those you know the lion yeah. one there? Yeah. That's him on a set, glowing, righteous, not a, a bad instinct. A smart producer, a smart director, um, you know, uh, that Highway to Heaven had yeah, yeah. A, um, a heart. And it wasn't in your face with the, what was the other one at the time? With the wings and the angels and the wings or, I don't know. Um, oh, touched by an angel it, or whatever. That's it. I was touched, yeah, touched by, an, by angel. an angel. You've been touched by an angel, son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, it. Was weird. I didn't get to work with you know much of the regular cast. Only Kenny Lester, uh, Moses Gunn, and it was at the blind school. So that yeah, I, okay, you know, yeah. So Kenny Lester is still her uh, name, Melissa Sue Anderson. Was she? Yes, I'm yeah. sure she yeah, bridged that. You know, handed the episode off so audiences didn't freak the hell out that <laughs> you know it's going to all be B story. Really, all week just. This week is just the blind kid. All right, fine. Where did they film that at? Was it California? So it was. It was a back lot. So Lorimar and Viacom and TV, they would shift lots. They said they shot on one lot. I remember at MGM in different Western towns, you might need one particular sheriff's station, one particular train station, one particular saloon, or um. Uh, so every lot had a different kind of a looking backlog, but all had the same kind of elements, um, just in different styles. So uh, really, I remember it was it was MGM. I, I want to say it was MGM, and and I, I don't, and it, because that's the lot that had the church 
It was the blind school at the end of a street. And then it kind of went to bushes and weeds off to the right. And uh, yeah, it was MGM. Hmm. Cool. Very cool. So then you kind of, you kind of moved into the. <laughs> I don't remember. I was like, uh, oh, but I do remember it was the, I started shooting that episode the day after they shot John Lennon. Oh, wow. Because I was filming Laverne and Shirley the night before. And wrapped wow, around wow. 11 or 12 o'clock uh, on, you know, because we shot in front of an audience and it goes late. And uh, the Coogan Act, my grandfather's own labor law says I need 12 hours between wrap and call time. But uh, eight o'clock call time for a little house the next day. And uh, we all looked at each other and the set teacher and there's like different certain set teachers do like all the shows. And we looked at each other and we all went. It's a different production. It resets the clock. So <laughs> I went right to work as the blind guy. I never played blind before either. <laughs> now, how hard was that to do, though, to play? Melissa Sue Anderson. She said, you uh, do your regular look at the person. Great. Now kind of just look off to the side and fuzz your eyes out a little bit. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> just put them out of focus. I, and then I, really I mean, listen to people. And uh, I went, okay, that's going to be the blind kid. And there were other kids that were the blind kids and they were regular blind kid extras. They'd done it before. So I picked up quick from them. <laughs> so you mentioned, you mentioned you had teachers on there. How, I, I guess you had that on a lot of your sets. How, how was that? How hard was that to, I can only imagine being away from school and having to play catch up. Like you're not part of the school. So I guess you, you have a teacher on demand, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. It's more like, uh, the teacher has the production on demand because the teacher can say, Oh, wow. Yeah. Stipulate certain things like uh, a rest hour in a 12 hour day. And the younger you go, the less hours you have. Right. Um, uh, infant has an hour on set. Um, and then if you're say 15, you might have uh, 10 hours on set. If you're 16 or 17, you might have 12 hours on set. However, that's three hours of school, one hour of recreation one hour of lunch. So it really leaves four good hours or right. whatever the math works out. It leaves, uh, you know, little time. And that means less close-ups or less rehearsals or less being involved with the adults, you know? And, and so uh, I think it wasn't until Macaulay Culkin that kids started getting the billing and the money that mm -hmm. was on parody with adults before that. Yes, there were kids getting Oscars, but they weren't getting the billing or the money. Um, and Macaulay really, I mean, it showed you he was a superstar kid. Yeah. Um, definitely. so you, I took the California high school proficiency examination at 16, which let me work as an adult in SAG under screen. I didn't need a teacher, no parent on set. Um, but that didn't, and that only let me compete against New York kids who somehow weren't covered under the Coogan law. Oh, wow. New York has a slightly different labor law for kids. There's one, but it's different. It's like the Coogan Act, um, and they're hungry. They're like, "We we do theater. We'll we'll work anytime, anywhere." <laughs> and uh, they, you know, they uh, they would come out, and you'd see Network fly out a New York kid to audition for a show, and you'd be like, "Damn!" Put him <laughs> up for in a hotel and a car and flights. They've already sunk money into this kid. They're just gonna hire him. Ah. So I guess with that less screen time, I guess that kind of explains why they have sometimes twins. Yeah, absolutely. Roles. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. Nathan Fiedler's re uh, rehearsal has a great bit where uh, they're uh, pretending to have a kid, but they're aging up three years every uh, six hours 
<laughs> in the fake house they're having. And uh, when they're an infant, they have to swap the kid out from the crib. And they have a clock running on the set. Wow. Uh, that shows the time out. And uh, brilliant show. Um, and then at one point, she puts the kid down in the supermarket parking lot to put the groceries in. And a PA sneaks up and swaps the whole car seat out for the fresh kid. <laughs> Genius show. But also true. That happens on a yeah. set. And also one wow. kid might be um, really passive and uh, yeah. you could yell and scream and set off effects around them. And the kid's just like, mm, and smiles. The other kid might cry at the drop of a hat and you might need a kid who cries or need a kid who doesn't cry. And so the right. twins gives you which one's sleepy, which one's wide awake and ready to cause trouble, you know, and you can kind of catch, you know, twins also cycle together. So maybe that doesn't yeah. work. Hmm. Interesting. So you move into, I guess, after the TV stuff, you move into the movies. You do do the voice of young Todd on the Fox and the Hound. I remember this was like the big thing. We we go to the theater. I was like what eight years old then. So go to the theater and the Fox and the Hound. One of the saddest movies ever. But you you did a you did young Todd. What was it like working? Was that like your first voiceover, or had you done some of those voiceovers before? It was my only voiceover. Wow. Uh, and I've auditioned for hundreds after that. Maybe that doesn't bode well on my audition technique. But uh, uh, including Hamlet, The Lion King, and Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, Tom Hulse got that, so he's Broadway star. Then Forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the and nobody called me for Fox and the Hound 2. Well, oh, I was yeah. much too old, so they went Fox with like Jonathan too. Taylor Thomas or hmm. some new child actor oh. <laughs> you get discarded so quickly <laughs> yeah uh so fox and the hound was uh, i asked my mom uh she said it was an audition just like anything else and it came up they ran us in front of the uh, animators um we saw the character drawings and stuff uh we uh started recording and i say we because i did see Corey feldman because of the coogan act and the schooling you can bank hours so three hours of school a day, but you can do up to five banking two. And the minimum you can do a day is one. Hmm. So you could do five days of a bunch of banks and then do five days of only one hour of school a day. Okay. If I did my math right, I think that works out. Yeah. yeah. So um, for instance, on Walton's, I banked so much time. We wound up selling it to another production. Like, he's got 20 hours banked. <laughs> What are you going to do? And I got a world book and like, they said, if we turn it into school supplies and not money, it's legal. <laughs> so I got a bunch of cool school supplies, microscopes <laughs> and, you know, whatever you wanted at the, you know, the little uh, board thing where you can electrocute yourself building a radio. Oh, I got yeah. all that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the chemical ones. There was what there was chemistry sets. We had oh, yeah. straight up had poison in it. Well, look, I mean, what were they thinking in the 70s? No, no they weren't. Like, the, worst, the worst thing ever. <laughs> the worst toy they ever been. Lone darts. What the oh, hell? Yeah. Oh, we had them. We used we them. We had them too. We dodged now, them. That, it's your responsibility. I mean, that lone dart goes up. But this, we also we also used to have dirt clog fights. I mean, you get oh, yeah. the oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Loved them. Yeah. Find that good one. It's oh, gonna yeah, break apart solid, and it hits, yeah, but no rocks. Get one with a rock in it. That's real fun, you know. No, no rocks allowed. <laughs> that's you know. It was, a, it, was, it was definitely an accident. I promise. Sure, <laughs> you were probably loading them, but anyway. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Fox and Hound was was a big success back then. But then you go on to a uh, a TV movie, uh, Million Dollar Infield, and this this is a Rob Reiner movie, which mm-hmm. Rob Reiner goes on to be a huge success. Yes, yeah. So, but Million Dollar Infield, what was it like working working on that movie? Because that had uh, you know you had Bonnie Bedelia, you had Bruno Kirby, Bruno Kirby. Second time uh, I'd worked with uh, Bonnie Bedelia, I think she was in the pilot of Norma Ray that we did. We did a pilot for Norma Ray, the television series. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you at all. Uh, Ned Beatty was in it. Oh, wow. Uh, what else? I did a, yeah, no, I did some strange, a couple of pilots, never went anywhere. And uh, a great series called McKenzie's Paradise Cove with Clue Gulliger. And Sean Marshall uh, from Pete's Dragon, uh, five kids whose parents die in a boating accident, and they pretend their neighbor is their Uncle Kuda, so they have a guardian, <laughs> and he's just drunk. And Clue Wheeler was a method actor, so he, he, that, that didn't at take six off? <laughs> at six, and we shot entirely on location in Hawaii, an hour pilot, and then like six uh, half hour episodes, and every episode started with me and Clue. And ended the T tag was me and Clue Uliger, uh walking on the beach or talking about the theme of the week, like a almost grandfather son thingy, but father something. Very cute. But wow. to p- carry that two pages of the cold open and two pages of the of the you know t- stinger, um, what I had already we had done a movie of the week called Question of Love, where Clue Uliger is suing. My mom's because he's my dad, but uh, Jenna Rollins and Jane Alexander had uh, were lesbians. This is in the seventies. Same producers that hired me back for these other things, um, and it was groundbreaking. It was on ABC TV Sunday Movie, whatever. Um, and uh, I started early working with method actors, right, and also doing TV commercials on the side. Uh, well, that was the foundation, and then guest spots, and then but. Early on, I worked did a couple of uh, after school specials, yeah, a uh, couple of movies of the week. The uh, Kid with the Broken Halo, with I remember uh, it. Yes, right. Yes, yes. Right? You really rang a bell with the uh, Million Dollar Infield. I had a couple of days of work on that. The you know, p- well, part of one of the families or something. So, let me ask kitchen you scenes and a ballpark scene. Let me ask you this: I, as as, and I mean you you were a well known actor in the eighties. Was there ever a show? Were you ever approached about like a show, kind of like a, a Silver Spoons for Rick Schroeder? Were you ever approached with a show for yourself? Like, a oh, I went show? up for um, Growing Pains. I was up for the Kirk Cameron role. Really? Absolutely. Uh, I was up for a billion of the sitcoms. One of them was, uh, was End of the Night or Heat of the Night, and it was. Uh, Top detective at night, and he took care of Christina Applegate and Jonathan Ward during the day. Jonathan Ward obviously got that. Yeah. Um, the uh, oh, the number of movies really are the ones I remember. Right. TV kind of comes and go. Your goal is to use commercials to learn about a set. TV to kind of learn how to really be on the spot because a lot of the sitcoms, it's a live audience. They're going to yeah. film it once or twice, and that's it. Uh, and then uh, to get to movies, film, film. Uh, and someone said, if you want to be rich, do television. If you want to be good, do theater. 
Right. And I'm, so I've done theater my whole life too. Um, and the theater enriched the film. And then hopefully the TV when, you know, I did a rookie in uh, December or came out Christmas and uh, talked to my guns. Uh, did same thing I do in movie or on stage. And uh, that's nice. It's nice to not have to be asked to do something you're not comfortable with. Right. All right. So then you you're big. A, Go ahead, Lord. You ever, you ever hate that question about, did you ever turn anything down that you regret? Oh, no. I would, I would uh, think that that would I be don't a, think a question. The only thing turned down, and it was a trick. My mom always, you know, insisted that I did this because I wanted to. I'm not pushed into it. Yeah. And so if a part or a movie came up that she didn't like, it would suddenly be a really great day at the beach. <laughs> you know, you could go up for this thing. It's it's in a hotel. It's really scary. I I don't know. It's yeah, the end of the parts. Okay, where you go to the beach is really nice. it was The Shining, and she just didn't like the script. Um, wow. Also, Friday Thirteenth Part Four. Uh, I lost it out to Corey Feldman, but as I came close, it was put on availability and uh, knew it was down to me and probably Corey. Uh, my mom was like, I don't want you to do this movie. I don't want you to do this movie. <laughs> Went up for a couple horror movies. Um, and uh, so, uh, but the films I remember going up for and not getting that hurt the most were definitely E.T., mm. Stand By Me, oh. Goonies, Gremlins, Goonies. Christmas Story. Um, y- you know, Lucas. I went up for Lucas for Lucas. So, and you go when you go, you go. I'm not right for this. I went up for Lloyd Dobler in saying anything. They go, you're 17. I go, I don't look like the 17 you're thinking in this thing. You're, it's John Cusack's movie. Come on. I went up for The Geek in 16 Candles. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And and some of these are studio nipple twists on the star they want to hire anyway to lower their price. Right. You, you won't take scale plus 10%. We'll hire Keith Coogan. That'll show you. Because <laughs> he'll do it for scale plus 10%. <laughs> so you went up for the Goonies. What what role, What part did you audition for? So I'm up for it, and I'm around with nine kids. We're in Amblin, and uh, we're around a plexiglass that inside has One-Eyed Willie's pirate ship model that's about two and a half, three feet, you know, abreast um it we and i'm there with everyone that was cast and like three or four others that weren't and i'm up for mouth and i look over and i you know Corey, what are you going for and he's like i'm going up for mouth and you're like oh, god <laughs> sorry about that i don't know what your rating is but i probably just blew it i went it's all good here i would cast Corey as mouth in a heartbeat he does the impressions and the voices and he's uniquely mouth you yes. know that you know it, and so when I got Brad, I went. I really get this, and I think it's subtle. And he doesn't get the girl, and he's jealous. And I, how do you make this a likable character who's just green the whole movie? Um, and so I loved the puppy dog that was Brad, and I really fought for it, and and, and was afraid to get it. And, and Chris Columbus um, really had a lot of faith that I was his Brad. All right. So then. But you you end up doing pretty good. Eighty seven Adventures in Babysitting comes out, <laughs> and one Miss Elizabeth Shue, who you your character has the big big time crush on, 
and who can blame you there? She we all like, did. We all everybody did. Everybody had a what? I mean, going into that movie, and I remember when it. I didn't go see it at theater. Luckily, movie rentals came around my Curse area. you. Damn you to hell. Curse I'm you. sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's all on you, Stevie. The movie rentals came along. And it was movie rentals came along, yeah. and I was like, okay, Ventures and Babysitting. You know, that's the girl from Karate Kid. We'll we'll check. I'll check that out. And uh ends up being a, a great movie. What was it like? What was it like working, first of all, working with Elizabeth Shue? Uh, like working on a 12 hour surgery with one of the top surgeons in the world. And, uh, but you're having fun and playing some music and, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was a serious endeavor. I like don't right. tell mom the babysitter did was just really fun shooting and everyone was really relaxed. And, uh, <laughs> we weren't on trains and buildings and moving cars and expressways. Don't tell mom was in a house. Yeah. Well, there's no stress there. And Adventure Babysitting was shot at night in a foreign country in, well, Canada, if you consider that a foreign country, yeah. Toronto, two months in Toronto. They spent about four million or so there wow. and then uh, did two weeks in Chicago, probably spent another four million there. And then a week in LA for intravision effects, which are front projection used in The Fugitive. Uh, Stand By Me, uh, Outland with Sean Connery, which is a great freaking film. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, and you had a young uh, Vincent D. I can't say his last name. I'm sorry. It played played uh, Dawson or Thor, whatever you want to call it. A lot of people don't realize because it, it took me a while. I don't know if you knew it, Warden, but uh, that was the first Thor played in the movies. I don't know if you knew that or not. I can't say it. Well, how do you say his last name, though? Vincent D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. There you go. Law and order, law and order guy. Um, and when you, say first, when you say the first Thor, what do you mean the first Thor? So there was a television movie of the week that had the Avengers in it, made in the seventies. That, that the one with the Hulk? Hulk was in it, right? When yeah, they, yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah okay. So, yeah, right yeah, this was the first silver screen on screen with a Marvel slug at the end gotcha. during the credits. Gotcha. This is Thor, Mighty God of Thunder. Okay, yep. that makes sense. Because I argue he is, he is Thor. He's under disguise. Yep. Uh, it's obvious he is. His, you've seen it though, Warden, where his sister yeah. is obsessed with Thor. I mean, she's drawing Thor everywhere. She's she she's got the the hammer and all that, and then <laughs> she sees this guy. She knows he's Thor, so it's pretty cool. But it was it was He Man in a draft, and Chris Columbus said, "I I don't He Man know." Uh, yeah. They they approached Marvel. They said, uh, "What do you got? Could we get Spider Man?" You know, Captain America. Uh, they said you can have Thor. No one's doing anything with Thor. He was the cheapest licensable character from the comic books that right. somebody might kind of get or recognize. And of course, they got to mention the other characters. So Marvel got a good buzz. So he is the official first on screen Thor. That's right. And this is Christopher Columbus's directorial debut, by the way. How was it working with him? Well, he'd written Goonies. And Gremlins and young Sherlock Holmes. It was great. It was the great to have. It was like a soft little welcome mat into the rough uh, job of making feature films, which are, you know, there's a good budget, a lot of people involved, a schedule, a deadline, um, a release date. And ours, we started shooting January. We shot through February and into March. 
and it came out July 4th weekend. That was a three-month post. Yeah. Crazy. Probably only possible because of Intervision, which has no traveling mat. It is an in-camera. You see it in dailies, how it's going to appear on screen. So there's no special effects. Everything was done practically with uh, glass and mirrors and reflective screens and uh, little set pieces built up. Um, we never set foot in the Smurfit Stone Container Building, the Associate Center, the, I don't even know what it's called. I call it the Running Scared Building because they, in Running Scared with the... Uh, oh, yeah, Gregory Hines. Gregory Hines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, So we never set foot there. Uh, B-camera team shot plates for moving backdrops. Uh, and uh, we built bits of, of the outside of the building on a soundstage off Poinsettia in Santa, in LA uh, on the cusp of West Hollywood. It was where I shot a Kool-Aid commercial once. Um, it was a little insert stage. It has, has two oh, stages. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know, and, and another person you got to work with on that movie is everybody's favorite uh, bad guy from the 80s in the movie. He was just, it, some people can play a great, just nice guy, and some people can play a great, just guy you want to just punch over and over again. And Bradley Whitford could play with a guy that you just wanted to knock the crap out of all the time. But uh, how was he on the set? Was he like that on the set? Was he totally different He's so great. And he's so, what's so great about when he plays douches is that <laughs> he's so smart. He figures out a way to make him likable and charming and to make him like him and thinks that the guy is smart and actually a good guy. So he plays, a sociopath really well. Yeah. Uh, and he's uh he's just so great in that. He made you know, everybody, all of the bit players, not really bit players, all of the you know, it was such an ensemble piece. Let's put it that way. It was yeah. just such everybody from you know, he's got a gun, the guy with the gun to get out of my house. Everybody in Adventures of Babysitting really brought it and everybody continued working. Yep, yeah, pretty much. And it's funny, you know, Stevie and I do a, you know, a lot of music and you said Bradley Whitford, I was thinking Aerosmith, but no, no, I, I know who you're talking about. I mean, I had, I mean, I admit it's been a while, but yeah, yeah, he, he's a bad guy. He's, he's a great bad guy. Yeah. Billy Madison. Remember yes, Billy Madison? Yes. yes. Dude, he was a, oh gosh, yes. I hated him. I hated him, but that's what he got. He was trying to get. So next up, <laughs> next up, we want to talk about one and one of the three movies that my three favorite movies that you were in hiding out. And I just watched hiding out before we went on, on, I mean, just, I mean, a great story. You got to work with, and, and I'm going to tell you this, and I'm not afraid to say it. One of the most beautiful ladies that I've seen work. And I had a huge, huge crush on back in the day, Annabeth Gish, man, I, there was something about, she had, it wasn't like she was just, Oh gosh, she's so everybody was like, she's so pretty. She had a natural beauty about her, and but she is so pretty in this movie. You you got to work with her, you got to work with John Cryer. Um, what was it like working with those two? And what was it like working on hiding out? Uh, that's where it felt because John found the material, found the producers, found the money, basically made it. He doesn't have a producer credit, but he put uh what was originally called adult education together oh really so i saw the script on anthony rapp's uh coffee table in his hotel room while we were shooting adventures of babysitting i said what's that he goes oh 
it's his movie and the character is so much like Daryl. He's just fast talking like sex fiend. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't want to do it. I go, can I call my agent and tell him about it? He goes, sure. That's great. You're not going to be butthurt. No, fine. Cool. So I get it. I uh, actually walked into the audition, read, uh, and then later that afternoon came back for producers and uh, didn't know that one of the writers was a producer. So Marty, I love you. But as soon as we started the producer session, I sat in front of horseshoe of Tate, you know, horseshoe of people that were like, going to give me this job in New York. Um, and I said, uh, kids don't talk like this. Like, we'd have to work on the dialogue. Like if I could and. uh, Marty goes, I, I wrote it. And I go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I, didn't know <laughs> I thought for sure it was over. And they shot it against a uh, photography backdrop, kind of like what I have now. Right. And I and so it was almost a screen test. We didn't have budget for a screen test. Uh, Adventures of Babysitting. Cheetah. Yeah. We did not have a screen test for uh, not a screen test. A um, so in movies you also do a camera test. That's what I'm talking about. We did a camera test for Cheetah. We did a camera test for a couple of movies, um, just to make sure everything's exposed right, and then it gives the producers a last minute chance to go. Chemistry's not right, and it's just you literally standing there in costume for about a minute wow. and looking at each other and going, Hey, what's up? There's no dialogue. There's no thing. It's just a camera test, but that is one of the, and they tricked Brando into doing Godfather by his screen test for the, yep. for Paramount was we want to test the makeup. <laughs> We're doing a camera effects test. Would you help us? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, so uh, hiding out had the hair for John Cryer I had to go oh through the beard and, and the thing and like the and then the dyed hair and a wig and it was just it was traumatic for him but it was only a week of that other look in Boston right. we shot a week in Boston and I went out there for costume fittings and, and other stuff um then we wound up in Wilmington North Carolina to shoot the oh, whole wow. base of the movie uh calling it tops topsail high school it wasn't it was the same high school they shot Dream a Little Dream at, the same town that is Blue Velvet, that the same soundstage that Brandon Lee unfortunately died on yeah, in The uh, Crow. Yeah. It was a Delarenis production that so was shot in Wilmingwood or Thrillmington, as I called it. <laughs> yeah, Wilson. so fun. Just Wilson. curious, just just curious with. Brandon Crowe's are dying there. Did they still use that? Or is that just something they don't use anymore? Do you know that? I, th I think it was after us. Uh, they yeah, had a, a bit of warehouses that was in the flight pattern of the airport and uh, also had uh, pigeons living in the rafters. Oh, wow. So the pigeons would cause sound problems every once in a while. Um, the planes would disperse them so that you know somewhere between the pigeons and the planes you could shoot dialogue scenes <laughs> and uh the uh yeah it's just it's it's their you know their delarina stage their warehouse they weren't really soundproof stages they're more gotcha. like a loading dock you might some have something that fell off the truck maybe you know i was yeah. just wondering since there's a tragedy happened there if they like don't shoot i don't know I, don't I was just curious I, I don't think i was there after uh, been there since after that but yeah blue velvet to be rolling up in the same areas and wow. uh, yeah i don't i don't know that'd be a good thing to look up and see if they didn't do anything there warden yeah so 
Next up, probably my second favorite movie you in, and that's Book of Love. You yeah. And, you and Chris Young, uh, just a great ensemble cast. And uh, Danny Nucci, who plays, who ended up being on the Titanic, you know, he's Spider, which it, it's just a great throwback to, to the 50s. Uh, and you get to see a lot of what teenagers did in the 50s. I, I guess some teenagers did. But also, you worked with another great, great lady, Josie Bassett. But this this didn't do – this has kind of got a cult following on VHS when VHS come out. Because I remember my brother – I'd never heard of it. My brother brings it home from the video store. He said, <laughs> what is that? It's like, Book of Love. And he looked – when I look up there, and I no lie, you, know, you and Chris Young's face back in that day, you and Chris Young were like one of the most noticeable uh, people out there. And I was like, well, this got to be good if these two guys are in it. And it didn't let me down. I mean, so, so great, such a, a, a good comedy. Uh, but what was it like working on that on that movie, Book of Love? You're working with uh, a director, Bob Shea, uh, who is the CEO and head of the company, New Line Pictures, uh, but hires Rachel Talalay, who went on to direct uh, Tank Girl and uh, Freddie. Uh, was it Final Nightmares? Freddie Six? Who's the one with the Nintendo and the video game and got eaten in the video I game? Right. I think that's the final one. I'm not much. On yeah. My, I'm not up on my Freddie. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so it was tough for her because we'd go late and Bob would want to Bob. He'd call him, we'd call him Bob. Uh, He'd say, I want to get another crane shot or do this. And Rachel would go down. We don't have the time. We got to get it in the morning and get back. And he'd go, well, I, you know, override you. I, it's my company. And she goes, why'd you hire me? Uh, but uh, despite that, we got period locations, uh, Ray's Diner, tons of Pasadena, um, same area where Back to the Future was shot, um, tons of uh, downtown LA, uh, Washington Heights, Lincoln Heights. Um we uh the cars the wardrobe the girls oh, yeah. hair and makeup uh, the guy's hair oh my god i had to get that duck tail duck's ass <laughs> hairdo and uh the glasses the dance lessons we took uh dance lessons just to do the little bit of dancing we do yeah. in the movie um and the uh limp i had to affect the limp i did play piano Crutch. During uh, Earth Angel, that is me playing. That is a live take. That's not a backing track. Uh, that's all of us singing right oh, there. Wow. They're like, let's just record this. And uh, the and John Cameron Mitchell, you failed to mention, is Floyd. Probably, I was on the set and we're working with John Cameron Mitchell. And I go, this guy is so sharp. He's so, so much yeah. is improv. Like, how about you, Mrs. Zimmerman? What are you doing tonight? That was improv. <laughs> how genius is that line because they've gone through the whole book and gotten disease he's like how, what about you mrs zimmerman <laughs> um so i mean so smart you can't it's hard to think that fast um and uh john cameron later got short bus made through new line uh anthony rapp later got rent made through uh with chris columbus and uh, yeah. i never took advantage of that i'm kind of stupid i guess but i think one but of the nooch the nooch the I never knew somebody who could bury himself in a part, <laughs> ram his head through walls, wreck stuff, just generally be offensive, wiping boogers all over him. Yeah. I mean, he and he's so sweet. You love dudes. You, you, you want to see my sister take a shower? You, you give me two dollars. You watch my sister take a shower. Yeah, it's a so flip book. 
Yeah, yeah flip book. The flip books. Yeah. Oh my god, he jerks off in class to a reading of Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, one of the tossed the... salmon like into the sea. Oh my god, such one an of... offensive movie, and it was based on William Kotzwinkel's Jack in the, Jack box, in the box because yeah. of Jack in the Kotex box trying to get home after he's been deep pantsed by the bullies, um, and they said. <laughs> We, we can't use the title Jack in the Box, obviously. So they went through a series of titles and songs and stuff. At yep. one point, because uh, Dailies came back from Chris and Josie, and he comes over to her house to ask her out, and he leaves the grease stain. Oh, like a yeah. hamburger was stuck to the wall. Literally, the script says, looks like a hamburger was thrown against the wall. Um, and he nailed it. He nailed that scene. He did. And they went, we need to call this movie The Great Pretender. And they were going to get the rights. And then, and then they wound up with Bo Diddley and Book of Love, and they got Bo Diddley redo a new hip hop version of it. Yeah, so I mean, and Michael McKeon, and did you know that David Landers played Crutch, uh, in a cut scene? No, filmed at uh the San Francisco bar in L.A. Yes, there's a bar called San Francisco's, uh, and it was Crutch and uh, Twiller, uh, together talking about the voicemail message left by Gina. Right. Uh, Trisha Lee Fisher, who's fantastic in the yes. film. Um, and uh, they cut the scene. Heartbreaking. What? You know, there's a lot. Of, I interviewed a guy, this has been a while back, that played in the movie Hoosiers. And his character quits the basketball team in practice. Yes. And then, and then but then, you look like two games later, and without any explanation, he's in the starting lineup. He's on the court. And I asked him about that. I was like, what was the deal with that? Because without – he said, there was so much film, so much left on the cutting room floor that – and I was like, well, that's kind of an important part that they left out right there. With He said, there's a part where <laughs> I go and apologize to the coach and ask to come back on the team and, and – you know, he says under these conditions, and they they just cut it out. I was like, that's kind of important there because it didn't make much sense to see you back on the court again. But you got Ward. What a Dennis smoke. Hopper. What a Dennis Hopper smoker that was. Oh, my gosh. Was he not? Uh, shooter. And Gene shooter. Hackman. I mean, yeah. That was a great – what, Barbara right Hershey? There. Yep. Barbara Hershey. Uh, directed yeah, by Taylor, Taylor Hackford. Is that right? Am I getting that right? Yep. yep. Okay. You got it. Yeah, Hoosiers. I think I saw in theaters twice. I had to go back and go, did I really just see this warm, rich movie about sports that I, frankly, was not a sports kid. I was a nerd. The movies, (laughs) video game, books, um, TV, sci-fi. So sports was formed, but Hoosiers made it relatable. So you're a sci-fi Star Wars fan or Star Trek? Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Not to discount love TOS. Not to get, not to get Star Trek, yeah. but I, I, I like Star Trek. It's always better. I, I, I like I, I like I everything books. Star Wars. It's like even the worst. I like the prequels. I'm one of those. Yeah, some of the prequel stuff, though. It's still yeah. Star Wars so I TV. I saved some, my schedule. I had saved the last episode of Mandalorian. Um, I heard the rumors of mm. riding a Rancor beast. I would go, I, go I, I see that in my mind. I'm going to save that for I'm going to park that in the back pocket and not watch that yet. Kenobi's released I and I watched all of Kenobi. 
and Kenobi ends. And I go, damn, that's a movie. That's a Star Wars movie right there. Yeah. And I go, why don't I watch that last episode of Mandalorian? The Mandalorian looked like a cheap 70s, like the budget of V. Uh, oh my god be the final battle good yes i remember that was big when that came out oh yeah when the lady ate the gerbils i mean oh my gosh i was like or the baby when the baby that chick had the baby that baby chick had the baby yeah you're right they had a they did the reboot we're not worried about the new world order fascist uh uh, completely authoritarian, sneaky coming in and will cure cancer and give you all the energy you right. need and clean all your water and air and everything, and then we'll eat you. Um, <laughs> that was uh, an interesting time in Re- the time of Reaganomics, definitely. Yeah. So moving on, and this is my favorite movie you were in, and this was one that I didn't see at theater. Either. I'm sorry. I lived a sheltered life, uh, living in a small town where. The nearest movie theater was like 30 miles away. And, you know, anyway, luckily I worked at a movie. I, that was my dream job there. I worked at a movie rental store and this, this movie shows up and I'm like looking at the cover of it. I was like, so there's Mikey from the Goonies. There's uh, the guy from stand by me. The guy from my, and then the guy from Adventures in Babysitting. And I didn't, you know, the other two were kind of unknowns, I guess. But I was like, this has got to be a good movie. Lewis Gossett's in it. It's got to be a good movie. Toy Soldiers. Man, what a freaking awesome movie. I mean, it's got a great story to it. I, Warden, have you ever seen Toy Soldiers? I'm putting you on the spot. No, yeah, you, you are. Tell. Look, I, if I if I saw it, it was years ago. My bad. I'm sorry. I, if you if you get a chance to watch it, dude, it is. I'm telling I you, I probably have, but I'm old now and I don't remember stuff. So my, great my story of terrorists coming into a like a, a, I guess what you call a boarding school, and looking for a judge's son. And the judge's son's already left, so they end up taking all these kids hostage. But these kids, like Sean Astin, Will Wheaton, Keith Coogan, and the other two—I I can't ever remember the other two guys. I'm sorry. George Perez, T.E. Russell. There you go. It also there had Devin Elliott. Uh, uh, then the two, the two little guys that you that you guys kind of yeah took in, yeah uh, the Yogurt. guys. <laughs> yeah, but they—I mean. I'm not going to boys prep away. school gets taken over by terrorists. Exactly. I, I call it dead poet society meets diehard. Yep. And, uh, a man. little red, red Donish, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yes. much. We, uh, watched red Dawn and taps on repeat. Yeah. Um, we knew the influences. This is a B movie popcorn. We know what it is. There's a great line. Lou Gossett is talking to, um, um, who plays Luis Cali, uh, Oh my God, I'm blanking on his name and I love him. We I call him a nickname. He's a wishmaster. He's the genie. Um, Jeez, what's his note on? I'm looking right now for you. Oh my you. God. Was he, was he the heavy? Denim Elliot, yeah. No, the heavy. Heavy, heavy. He goes, uh, you, uh, you American. He goes, uh, we will find you. We will hunt you down. We will kill oh, you. Oh, oh, and uh, yeah. and uh, his name. he goes, uh, you Americans always say that. You never actually do it. He's got such balls. Um, and uh, the, it was based on what William Kennedy's book of the same name, <laughs> which had a female teacher and a love affair. And that was all cut out. 
Yeah, I'm I'm looking right now to see what this guy's name was. What was his character's name again? Luis Kelly. Andrew Divoff. Andy. I was yeah. calling Andy. That's why I couldn't remember Andrew. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Andy speaks nine languages and is a method actor and just terrifying on a set. You never yes. know what he's going to do. Uh, there's one scene. There's one scene I got to ask you about. It. I don't know if it was planned or not because judging from some of the uh, other kids in there's reaction, it will explode. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we did that a couple times, and I think that was this the third take. So we're acting like we're scared. Now he went to different levels each take, and but he was he he went big the first take, and so we knew that he was going to be calm. Yeah. Don't touch the wires. Don't touch the explosives. Don't touch the thing. Don't do that. Or they will explode. We kind of knew that was coming. Very fun. Uh, and uh, he was um, a live wire, but uh, so within the guardrails of the script and the scene and the moment. Because those kinds of movies are really built on really quick flashes and imagery and understanding of the audience. Right. Where's the gizmo? Where's the gadget? Uh, what's the, you know, what the MacGuffin? Uh, how, do, how are we moving along? And if you, you know, there's no time to think. And by the end, by the last 15 minutes of toy soldiers, it with the military score recorded by the Irish, uh, Philharmonic orchestra, they work cheap. What are you going to say? They were great. Um, great, uh, great score. Um, and by the end, it, you are, it is breathless. It just builds yes. and builds and the action keeps going and going. And you finally get that. And it's hard. R. I consider it the last of the hard R movies without a tongue in cheek. Yeah, because you had True Lies came out in '94, and this was '91, and I really feel like when was Red Heat about '89, '90? Yeah, Red Heat was before this. I, I'm I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, you had uh, uh, Daniel Petrie Jr. who had written The Big Chill, Beverly Hills Cop. Um, you know, very capable filmmaker. Uh, you had a uh, Toy Soldier written by David Kep who'd written Jurassic Park. And uh, so it, it it was a little, it was such a, what do you call it? Rolling thunder. And since we had grenades and machine guns and RPGs and Blackhawks and Apaches and Bell uh, for camera, a camera was in like a Bell helicopter. Um, dude, I walked out of my trailer one day, machine guns going off, tower blowing up with naphthalene, three helicopters in the air and it went, this is, I'll never be on an action movie like this again. And Mickey Moore, <laughs> who was second unit director, uh, he directed the truck chase sequence in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, wow. And he directed a scene. Uh, Daniel Petrie was running back between A and B set with so much to shoot that me lighting the cigarette and distracting the smoke alarm and distracting the terrorists on my part of the roof with the coffee and all that stuff, that was directed by Mickey Moore. And while we're shooting that, he's telling stories of John Wayne and Catherine oh, Hepburn. Wow. And so really cool because you had, yeah, there were some old school people on that. And Tom Burston, who was the director of photography, coincidentally also worked on the Cheetah. Mm-hmm. So I get on the set. I go, hey, Tom, how you doing? And then like years later, mid-90s, I run into him in DMV. Hey, Tom, what's happening? Hey, hey Keith, how you doing? <laughs> LA's like that. It's very weird. I think, though, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, the chemistry with you five, though, was so. I mean, you guys looked like a week of rehearsal was key. Um, me and Sean and Will 
we'd known each other. We'd uh, auditioned against each other. We'd, I'd been directed by Sean's dad. Sean's dad and my grandfather had done the Adams family together. Yeah, yeah. Me and Will, and we'd already done like celebrity events together and stuff. And I love him. I, you know, I, me and Will got along really well. We're driving in the desert. That's Palm Springs. And uh, look at it, it's just sand. And Will Wheaton goes, uh, man, well, imagine if all of that sand, every grain was diamonds. It's a diamond. <laughs> he goes, well, what would it be called? And I went, sand. <laughs> uh, I think we went to an opening of Oasis Water Park. Yeah, it was a celebrity thing. So uh, there was a little kids have their own social group with a kid award show that's like the Oscars and kid events and celebrity charity softball games and fundraisers. And uh, uh, what is it? Alice Ingram says, you got to hang your ass out there. So you just go to every single thing with the red yeah. carpet and a camera and a chance to get your name in the paper. Yeah, but uh, I've, it's it, terrible, it, it, but it's true. Never would have thought that you could uh, disguise alcohol as, as mouthwash. Like, like you, you guys did in that movie. That was right. And you can, of course, drink alcohol that has uh mouthwash oh, yeah. that has alcohol and get kind of loaded, but you'll get sick. Um, so yeah, to do creme de menthe and vodka and all that stuff. That unfortunately, that we hadn't gotten to Friday Night Lights area with laying in the middle of the road and getting running over by cars as a hazing <laughs> stunt. So, um, uh, oh yeah, dialing the sex line. By the way, the dialing voice, the sex line. Yeah, the voice of Jennifer. Um, interesting bit of trivia. Uh oh, I love hearing this stuff now. She's married to John Avildsen. Who directed Rocky? Yeah, the kid. Um, yeah. Wow. And she sat in a van outside the set and communicated through us like live, so we could you know mess around. And though that, by the way, the after a week in San Antonio where they shot all of the courthouse sequence, the opening sequence, all of the um, border patrol stuff. Um, then they came to. Uh, Charlottesville and shot mostly at the Miller uh, Academy for boys. It's now co-ed. It was a preparatory for Air Force kids. Um, We uh, did a one week of rehearsal. And so I think, you know, back to you talking about the camaraderie. It was, we were all pretty confident. By the way, there was a gauntlet. Uh, Everyone in town wanted to be in Toy Soldiers. Hmm. Everybody wanted, everybody went up for it. I remember going to the Copper Penny, which is by Warner Brothers Studios, and the auditions were near there. And uh, everyone wound up at the Copper Penny. It's kind of like a Denny's. And out in the patio area, and the eight of us, all like, and I remember like maybe two of us got in it. Um, it was like, oh, it's cool. The, you know, the guns, the helicopters, the thing. Because it is our chance to do a TAPS or a uh, yeah, Red yeah. Dawn. Red Dawn was like, what, 84? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was 14 when it came out. How impressionable am I? Milius is genius. Anyway, uh, back to uh, Toy Soldiers. So we knew it was derivative. We knew it was Die Hard. We knew it was Taps. We knew it was you know, all that stuff. And Sean Astin, uh, butt, naked butt. We were. We have a hit, uh, modest, twenty million, twenty-one million. I don't know what it made. Um, cost maybe twelve, ten, twelve. Right. On the same budget as Adventures of Babysitting or Don't Tell Mom. A little shy of their box office. I think they're in the like 30 million to maybe 25 million and then Toy Soldiers. And then Fox and the Hound actually is my highest grossing film with like 
46 million. Um, but Toy Soldiers was uh, produced by Mark Bird, who it was uh, went on to run Island uh, Records, Island Pictures. Um, he um, shaved his hair into a high and tight, took the script to the Pentagon and asked for Humvees, Blackhawks, Apaches, pilots, troops. And they said, okay, we have notes on the script. He goes, yep, absolutely. Because, look, it's a big deal. It's a lot of money. So you have to go buy that. Like um, um, Hurt Locker, she did not get approval. So Catherine Bigelow had to go figure out how to get a couple of Humvees and this and that and kind of make it look like a war. It's really helpful when you have the Pentagon on your side. So Mark Berg shaved his hair <laughs> in Hawaii and tight, went there, and they said, we want to change the ending. Uh, and Mark Berg said, oh, you want to change how you'd really invade a school and rescue the, ter- the prisoners? And he goes, no, hostages. Uh, he goes, no, we want to change it out. We want people to think we invade a school and take over the terrorists and rescue the hostages. So that is, you know, CIA and Sun uh, Tzu, the art of war, uh, says, uh, through deceit, thou shalt do war. So you're never truthful. You know that CNN during Gulf War asked reporters to stand in front of the Kennedy in. Uh, uh, right now, the feed get cut. Right, Pearl uh, Pearl Harbor. The Kennedy was there in port, getting fixed, and they said, uh, "Bring two weeks worth of clothes." And they shot a bunch of uh, with in behind them the John F. Kennedy aircraft carrier. They said, "Yep, still in dock. It's got a screw getting repaired. They're resupplying. Troops are having fun, you know, in the town." And uh, they aired two weeks of those reports. Uh, by that time, it was halfway up the Suez Canal. <laughs> so the uh, CIA, the news media, and Hollywood, the Hollywood military-industrial complex, they're up your butt. Uh, it's without remorse, and read without remorse. There are Marines, there are Navy SEALs that will crawl up a creek, go up the sewage, and put a grenade up the guy's butt mm. to kill him. Yeah. And never be seen, never be found, never be smelled. And uh, there's guys that are proud of that. Um, I love the Michael B. Jordan without remorse. Absolutely nothing to do with the book, um, but uh, good. They should make, he should actually do the book. Uh, I think Michael B. Jordan would be fantastic in the actual Tom Clancy book without remorse. Yeah, the, I mean, this, I've watched this. And actually, when I got in contact with you, uh, it's been a, a few months back. Uh, then you agreed to do this. I was like, I got in there with my daughter. My daughter is 18, but she is like retro. And we sat down and watched Toy Soldiers. <laughs> and she was like, when when my wife got home and I was telling her, I said, look, you remember this guy? And I was telling she's like, oh yeah, I re- definitely remember him. And Matter was like, my daughter was like, <laughs> that freaking movie was good. That was that. That's a really yeah. good movie. So she's 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 getting there. But the uh, um. It takes itself seriously knowing what it is. So yeah. there's no need for a tongue-in-cheek. This is just a badass. It's got Arlie Irving, uh, Mason Adams, Denim Elliott. Uh, the, the guy. Who played Jack, um, the second uh, terrorist with the little yeah, glasses and the Michael, gray Michael jacket. Michael Champion. Michael Champion. We had the same agent, Harry Gold at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. that guy was, yeah. I, he was the original Kevin from Sin the, City. Yeah. He and I, I actually think that Sin City that 
the artist was influenced by Michael Champion's part in Toy Soldiers. Those round glasses, the yep. cold, just absolutely, he's like, I'm here for hire. I don't give a hell what you feel or think. I'm here to deliver orders, make it happen. And the little side bets. And that's all created by Michael and uh, Andy Devoff. They go, what if we had a bet on how many kids? And then you pay up. And like, or it's a cigar, or it's a thing. And did you know that they went into town as terrorists? And this is a mix of skaters, stuntmen, um, actors. Remember, all the bad guys in movies were uh, theater majors. Um, <laughs> so they went into town and they got into a fight <clears throat> in oh, wow. a college town. And with this big guy, Haas, basically Haas from... Uh, uh, smoke. Yes, thank you. And just they arguing, pushing, you know, and their leather jackets and their beards, and they look like terrorists. And they're like, you know, they're they're trying to be method. I'll tell you another story about being in method too. And uh, sheriff pulls up, pulls around, little you know, scuffle in front, and pulls up, and he walks up, and he finds out the sheriff is the brother of Hoss. Uh oh. Oh wow. The sheriff goes, hold on, I got to make a call real quick, and turns and walks 20 feet up the street, and Haas turns around and decks Michael Champion right in the nose. Bam! Breaks his nose. We're shooting the next day. As a matter of fact, it's a scene where he goes, shut it down. Shut it down now. And it's to the uh, real control plate. And he's yeah, in the quad. Yeah, yeah. So that is the day after he had his nose broke. So makeup covered it. I'll have to uh, back producers to were pissed. Now. They're like, what are you fucking doing? Getting into fights in town, trying to be bad guys and stuff like that. Uh, and so when he gets killed uh, by a, uh, I think he gets shot by an Apache. I'm yeah, not sure. On the roof. With an M50 on the front yeah. of the Apache. They put extra squibs and double loads. <laughs> and when they shoot it, they overcrank. So it was a little slow mo. It hurt. And you see him go, ow, 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 ow. You see Michael Champion's eyes go, oh, shit. And by the way, we shot in continuity. We kind of shot in order of the script. So when you died in Toy Soldiers, whether you're Will Whedon or Michael Champion, you were on a plane and you were home. Um, so as soon as they killed him with extra squibs and a little extra pain, a little bruising there, um, it was safe. It ain't going to hurt him. Then he was sent home. Uh, but I love Michael. Um, he's past now uh, but he was a great bad guy sweet oh, yeah. warm and by the way in town there was a bar and i would go down and michael goes i'm gonna join in on a song I'm like, what because i made friends with the musicians that were playing the pub we go down and he plays honky tonk woman he <laughs> plays bongos he just plays two bongos and he shreds it brings the house down i just i absolutely died and i went back another night and he tried to repeat it and it, the illusion of the first time wasn't there and it was good. It's great. But it also there every night is different. Every audience is different. Every yeah. the tuning of the drums can be different because it's hotter or colder and uh, all of that. Um, so toy soldiers is a perfect example of men making a man's movie for men and boys. There That's are no right. female characters except for news reporters and a few moms that literally have 90 seconds of screen time. And Jennifer. Oh, and let's well, just her voice. <laughs> she is a blonde Asian lady with dark skin. And you take that. But I love Snuffy. He's like, take it off. Take it off now. Take it off. Yes, take it off. Take it off. Uh, but before we before we stop talking about that, we we can't I can't let you 
Oh, not the other story Lewis. on. Yeah, um, go ahead. Wait, what was it on? Uh, the Method. tough guys. So the bad guys. The school is 40 minutes from the hotel. We sit in a days in across from a Kmart Kroger on the interstate and just like accidents all day. And like we would get in trouble and me and Will, we'd like throw all the pool furniture in the pool. I got butthurt reading an interview about Sam Miami where he said they threw the pool furniture in the pool with River. And I go, you didn't tell me that when I threw the pool furniture in the pool with you, I feel betrayed. Uh, I really do. I got, I thought that was our special thing. Not you and River too. I've got damn it. By the way, I love River. Um, and uh, so the pranks were pulled. We took, uh, we ordered a trundle bed or a, you know, a side rollout bed. And me and Will stuck it in the elevator and rolled it out. So when you open the elevator door in the days in a hotel, it was a bed. You couldn't walk in. You literally had to crawl onto the bed and hit the button and lay there. <laughs> we were bad kids, bad kids. Um, but the uh, bad guys would offer us a ride after. Uh, work. He goes, hey, you know, the production van, it takes like 40 minutes. Dude, we'll jam in our Mustang convertible. We've got a whole car here. And like, you know, we rented one in town. We'll just take it home. Let's take it home. What do you say? And each of us, and I say like six or seven because they included uh, Sean Phelan, who played yogurt. Um, six. So uh, they didn't include the other kid, Jason. Um, <laughs> they uh, said, hey, come with us. So the kids would go, sure top of the car and immediately they would drive behind the school behind the headmaster's house there was really like another house you never saw in the movie by the way that whole wall was fake that whole quad is a million dollar fiberglass and and plywood wall spray painted to look like brick i meet wow. guys that worked on that for three months and they go hey i worked on toy soldiers i'm like oh what'd you do sound did you work on camera did they, you know and he goes no nah, i built the wall and they spent a million dollars to build that wall. So anyway, wow. the bad guy was taking me in the house. So one day they took me, and they said uh, they took me, and they and I go, well, we're not going to the hotel. Obviously, great. But they're a great guy. I could tell. I'm a good reader of people, and I didn't feel unsafe at any time. And they pull around, and it's dark, getting dark, and they uh, say, get out of the car, okay? And they go get on your knees, and they start pulling out fake weapons, and the whole like they start being badass. And, and uh, I hit my knees and I start begging for my life. Tears streaming from my head. Please go. I'm licking his shoe. God, don't kill me. Go, please. I just want to make this movie. I go, go, please. And he goes, get up. He goes, every single other cast member said, stop fucking around. <laughs> every other cast member said, that's not funny. Stop fucking around. Come on, let's go home. You played ball. They go, we'll be watching you on the set. If we don't believe you, we will cut. We will say absolute bullshit. And so they had this menacing quality that they were in charge. If they were in the scene, if the terrorists were on set and in the scene, Daniel Peacher would hide back behind the camera and go, yeah, have they, okay, actually, God, oh, God, please don't let anybody get hurt. And they really were, uh, dang, they felt dangerous, but they were sweet guys. They went, yeah, fuck you. And they took me home and it was all good. <laughs> yeah. So before we stop talking about this, one guy we didn't talk about, uh, Lewis Gossett Jr. How was it working with him? How, our, I mean, just a legend. Spiritual teddy bear. Our uh, inspiration that no matter if it's Officer and a Gentleman or Iron Eagle <laughs> 3, you work as hard for that paycheck as any other job. So he took the material seriously. I, By the way, I got to read. I was cast with Lou first. 
but Lou wasn't available for the um, auditions for everybody else. So I read Lou as the Dean against everyone auditioning for Billy Tepper <laughs> and every other part. I would, I, I was the only one in casting already cast. And uh, here we are looking at headshots and uh, reading the scenes with everybody coming in. I've never wanted to be on a casting process again. It was the most humiliating dehumanizing process. They literally pick up pictures, throw them in the trash. And I'm like, you know what? Thanks for inviting me, but this is this is awful process. Uh, and so now, then I then I got more nervous after Toy Soldiers. And I don't think I ever worked again. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, the uh, so when we uh, and by the way, Sean can bring it can bring it every time. The reason I auditioned for Samwise Gamgee, and it's the audition where you're over Frodo with the ring and crying and don't die on me and stuff. They're like, speak uh, old Earth English. I'm like the fuck is old earth english i get this thing we're shooting three movies at the same time in new zealand it's not sag i go what the fuck they go it is not a sag picture so the first thing you're like well what movie of the week trash is i mean obviously ralph bakshi's is the best lord of the rings so there's no way somebody's gonna film what three feature length versions of this with effects and dwarfs and giants. And I go, you're out of your mind. So I did, I auditioned, I have a screen test for Samwise Gamgee. So uh, Sean though, has the emotionality. He has the craft that uh, Hain, uh, DiCaprio, uh, um, Phoenix, mm. uh, Renfro, a lot of actors we've lost. Uh, they have a raw, open, maybe because they don't have the absolute dull, <clears throat> worn armor that I have built up from being in the industry for 46 years, uh, that that it was harder for them to suffer the slings and arrows. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I always get a little emotional on those that aren't with us. Right. It still gave us so many great pieces that we can watch and enjoy and that's even sadder it's like a james dean situation with like four or five people i knew wow we're friends that i tried yeah that 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 had to be tough yeah i had one successful pull up pull out of the nosedive one successful person i thought was uh ruining their life and i i i think i made an impact and helped them pull out of nosedive True um so other than that um <laughs> Wow. Yeah, Toy Soldiers was the movie everyone wanted to be on. I got to be on. I was so stoked. We did a press yeah. tour. We did uh, Joan Rivers and, uh, you know, went to nine cities in 11 days. And uh, we uh, had uh, had a lot of fun uh, yeah. shooting that. Yeah. And still yeah, to that... this friend's day, uh, friends with Andy Diem. We love Andrew. Oh, my God. Me and my wife adore him he has a brewery up in uh arrow bear near uh big bear uh, arrow lake arrowhead uh here in la and um go to andrew devoff's brewery i'm all right i'm gonna have to check that out so then you move on to you go <laughs> go to the other side of the spectrum don't tell mom the babysitter's dead and in my experience, it was the other way around. I shot Don't Tell on the Babysitter Dead first and then went right to uh, Charlottesville to shoot oh, uh, really? Toy Soldiers. They released them in opposite order. They held Don't Tell Mom a little longer. Wow. Yep. Yeah. You, you played... I took 
by the way, I took my stand in on Don't Tell Mom. Uh, was I? He is from North Carolina, Asheville. So we're in right. Virginia. That's like less than driving across Los Angeles. Just yeah. in LA, yeah. you can drive for hours and get a few miles. Back east, that's three, three states. Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, he goes. Uh, he goes. I. He came out, and they had no stand-ins. They had no buddy to train the extras, the background, all the kids we hired to play the hostages. A lot of those were actual students of the uh, boys' school. Um, and so he came out and was Sean Astin's stand-in on Toy Soldier. So if you look at the credits of Don't Tell Mom and Toy Soldiers closely you will see a shared name as standing for Keith Coogan and standing for Sean Astin. Okay. I had to check that out too. But so, shot in the other order, but yes, don't tell mom. Oh my God. What a um, fun. Um, we, uh, Stephen Herrick was our cheerleader. Uh, we got the subversiveness of the script. We're like, we're allowed to make this? And it was Outlaw Productions, uh, Brian Riley, Bobby Newmeyer, that uh, they had made Sex, Lies, and Videotape. So we already knew with barely any money they could make something that absolutely was scandalous and people talked about and people watched or rented or, you know, a Sundance darling, if you will. And they go, wait, they're producing a studio Warner Brothers picture that's Home Alone times five. That's every other movie was the parents leave town and the kids, everything falls to shit. And they said, we're writing a movie where the parents leave town and the kids get pull everything together. And I went, that's a movie. I, app. Oh my God. And it's one of those, when you get a part, when you read a script or audition or the sides, sometimes you get the, both the sides and the whole script. Sometimes you only get the sides when you read it and you go, I'm, I see myself on set. I, li- I literally like it's so easy. Like, like, how do I not get in the way of this? Um, so don't tell mom. It was I was originally auditioned for Brian the Clown Dog Boy. Was rejected <laughs> when I said I should go up for Kenny because I loved Kenny. I thought Kenny was the greatest part. Uh, and I said I could play him. I could play him. I know him. I knew a Kenny. Uh, and they said, "No, you're too old." My agent said that. Wow. But Marcy Learoff in casting hadn't said that, so I prepared for Brian the Clown Dog Boy. And uh, I also prepared, Chris Young helped me prepare a bag. I called it my drag bag. It had a $15 wig. We bought it Burbank hair and makeup. It had a skull vest that Chris loaned me and a pair of torn jeans that I had. And I kept that in the car. And it was uh, right outside of Warner Brothers across the street. Um, this row of, of kind of like, corp- looks like corporate housing or like British row houses. And that's where like, separate production offices are off lot. And uh, so I had different for Brian, the clown dog boy, and it's a producers and director session. So the two producers, the director, the casting director, their casting associates, or at least five people in the room kind of judging you as you do your part. And they're filming you videotape. So I read, it's great. Thanks, Keith. And I go to leave and I, at the door, I turn to Marcy Learoff and I said, Hey, can I come back in in a few minutes and show you something? She goes, sure, Keith. I've already known her from other auditions. And uh, absolutely. So I go to the car and uh, I was the last. Uh, the I think my family said you're either first or last at auditions. So when they make the schedule, when do you want to schedule? When's your audition? You go, what's the when, when do they start? What's the first audition? If you're first, you set the bar that every other actor has to get to, to pass you. 
or you come in last and you close the deal. They've seen everybody else and they're not sure and you come in and you, they go, oh, thank God. So uh, I was last in the round of the Brian Clown Dog Boys. And as I'm leaving, I see six, eight guys in the lobby, all with the long hair and the thing. And they smell like patchouli. Two of them are friends of mine. One's in a band with a friend of mine. I'm like, hey, guys, what's up? I go to the car and I change and uh, turn into Kenny. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Often I, I remember going up for a Mike Farrell movie. The second time I'd worked with Mike Farrell. First was Battered with Karen Grassle, Chip Fields. Um, and uh, it was about Battered Wives. And then I did Memorial Day. And on Memorial Day audition, I blacked out in the audition. I cried. But I blacked out. And I remember coming to in a bathroom. So I thought it was the exit to get out of the thing. And I walked into a bathroom and I walked out. And I'm like, you know, and they cast me. Um, so don't tell mom. I remember, I don't remember. So I blacked out <laughs> and uh, actually I kicked the door open. Ha, ha, who's in charge here? <laughs> Just was in character when I came in the room. And I did that for a lot of auditions. I'd warn people and warn the agent knew to warn Cashman. He's going to come in in character. Um, it just helps. It's sometimes harder to switch. So the further it is from you, the harder it is to switch. So Kenny was very far from a computer nerd, geek, music, theater student. Yeah. You know, He's Kenny was as far as you could be. So uh, did it. And Marcy Lerif said, okay, Keith, go ahead and take off the wig. And I had a baseball cap over it because it's a cheap wig. And so I, Sebastian, bocked it by putting <laughs> the baseball cap over the wig. It kind of sold the wig better. I took off the wig and the hat and they saw it was me, the same kid that was just in 15 minutes ago for Brian. They go, oh, two, three days later, I got the call. I booked it. And they invested six grand uh, in the wigs, two $3,000 a piece hand laced wigs. And while I was getting the wigs done, I saw a picture of my grandfather on the wall. I go, why do you have a picture of of Jack Cougar on the wall? And they said, uh, his PR people said he needed a toupee for his uh, personal appearances in the sixties. <laughs> so wigs by Ziggy had made wigs for my grandfather and Kenny's wig for Don Tom, which they kept and archived. And when I went on to AMLA with uh, Steve Edwards, I came out in character with a waffles recipe on the day of release. And I wouldn't break character. And Steve Edwards goes, come on, Keith, you know, movies coming out. Okay. You could drop the bit. And I wouldn't break character. And he pulled the wig off my head. And Steve Edwards put the Kenny wig on his head. And he played a stoner real quick. Um, and I think I finally broke character. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not Crispin Glover crazy, but I'm artist crazy, which is good enough oh, crazy. Crispin Glover. Good Lord, dude. Yeah. We, uh, I actually did go to the theater to see this movie. So you'll be proud of me for that. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Right. But yeah, great movie. What was it like working with Christina Applegate? Like, uh, so she was a friend prior to filming, and I'd known her and been over to her house. Um, and I had so much respect for her. Had already been on, when you're on like movie lots auditioning, just wander around. You're like, I know they shoot Married with Children over here. So you walk in and say hi. I know they shoot, you know, who's the boss over here or your friends guesting on something. You go visit them. Um, they're, security is pretty lax once you're inside of a movie studio walk around like you know where you're going and people leave you alone um so uh yeah working with christina was a such a pleasure 
there was zero argument over what the bit or the gag or the comp is so clear on the page. Every two lines is quotable. Every there's five punchlines on every page of that script. There's so much great dialogue. And you go say it as quick, as fast as you can, be real, be in character, just grind it out. We had so much to shoot. So probably two and a half months. Um, hot during the summer. Um, a lot of locations in LA and then finally setting settling on this house in Canyon Country, uh near Valencia, near Magic Mountain in LA. It's oh. near where they shoot wipeout, um, near where they shoot kind of a lot of like ranchy, uh hilly kind of stuff outside of LA and uh hot, stinky house. They really let that house go. They took a nice <laughs> house, destroyed it to look like the Crandall house, and then Remove the destroyed parts to make it look like the kids cleaned it up again. Yeah, it it, it was a it, like you said, it was different. It was like they the kids got it together at the end and uh, made it made it look good. But uh, yeah, just that's that's pretty pretty cool movie there. So what what are you up to now? What have you got going on now with with Keith Coogan? Got a bunch of autograph conventions coming up. I've seen um, you. At, you've been on that 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 convention tour. Yeah, uh, such a great chance to be. It's the uh, after Napster killed CD sales for musicians. <laughs> they had to do tours, right? And yeah. so here I get to kind of do the tour and support Book of Love or uh, Cousins or uh, Yeah, Cousins. of Babysitting. Yeah. yeah. I have a backdrop Acme. I mean, no, um, Alamo Drafthouse uh, gave us after we finished an Alamo Drafthouse tour of Avengers Babies, I think. And it's the building turned on its side. So you can do a Batman TV series walking up the building gag with me <laughs> and pretending like you're hanging off the building. And I'm like, you're Elizabeth Shue. Um, and they gave us the backdrop. So we have that at autograph conventions. I signed dishes. Dishes are done. Dishes are done, dude. <laughs> they have a uh, they have Alamo Draft House in California. They do downtown LA. Yeah, it started here in Austin, so it's like yeah, it's I, that's like my favorite movie theater to go to. I love the kind of the stuff before the movie, like kind of the Austin trip. Are they let us set up a merch table in that tiny little lobby. I think it's a threeplex there. Uh, oh, on, wow. uh What is it, Sixth Street? Um, yeah. And uh, it was drunk, absolutely belligerent, uh, fun. It was a riotous crowd. And like everybody felt like they were watching at home. So ah, rah, rah, rah. Um, there's a there's a saying in Austin. It says, keep Austin weird. Keep so Austin weird. That's right. Yep. Austin Film Festival. Yep. Um, Link letter. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. We got trapped in the elevator at the hotel on our way to the theater. And we're going to do a Q&A and introduce the movie and sell merch. And um, who doesn't want a don't fuck with the babysitter dead t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> and we're trapped in the elevator with a Marine. And the Marine, she is losing her mind. She's like, I will call her out of the roof. I'll, I'll free us. I'm like, just calm down. Um, we we're like, we're probably going to miss. We only miss that we... We're really trapped in an elevator, and uh, we were free maybe 20 minutes, and we made it in time. But uh, Austin, very good. We've been there a couple times. Um, great host city for the arts. Thank you yep. for being weird, Austin. Yep. Yes, sir. 
So where where can people find you online? I know we found you on face. I found you on Facebook, but is is there a website <laughs> or 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 is it easier to find you on Facebook to see where you're going to be next? There is a website which will lead. It is the uh, fountainhead uh, for the socials and uh, YouTube clips, merchandise, uh, contact info. Uh, it is Keith Coogan Online dot com keith coogan online.com and timothy busfield uh who ran sacramento's b street theater with his brother bus buck busfield told me you got to repeat the phone number or the uh website oh, yeah. three times so that's keith coogan online.com look i'm looking up here right now yeah oh Stevie, we, Stevie, we need to do that Stevie, we need to start doing that yeah we definitely need to do do uh repeating it when i learned there. people need uh three different uh uh channels of input they need to see it or read it they need to hear it uh and they need to uh yeah so a billboard uh a video spot and then a radio ad print print they need to read it in print and see it on a billboard they need to hear it on the radio or see it on tv if you have three any three of those they'll come they'll show up they'll know about it but you need to get in orally, visually. There's a few ways you get people learn tactilely, visually, audibly, uh, audibly, or uh, uh, you know demonstrations. Um, so yeah, advertising. Advertising is throwing a hundred dollar bills into a fireplace, and every once in a while, someone comes by and goes, "Oh, that's interesting." <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the merchandise up here now, and uh, the autographed <laughs> Kenny quote dish. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's got to go to uh, it's got to go. And then the and then the mini dish tree ornament. The, the, yes, the, holidays yeah. are coming up. Get yeah, you, uh, you just talk a little bit. Talk uh, a bit, a little bit though. And I meant to ask you about this: the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Because I'm a big Jay and Silent Bob fan. I mean, As Jay am and Silent I. Bob Strike yes. Back is one of my favorite movies. How, I, how did uh, you get involved with that? My wife said I should ask Kevin Smith to be in reboot. <laughs> That's it. So that we was saw it. it was being made. She goes, "You should uh, go ask him." And I go, "Honey, that's not how it works. There's an agent, submissions, and casting directors, and producers." And she goes, "Just ask him." So uh, we, she'd already met him and uh, talked to him. I'd seen him across the room at Smodcastle in L.A. He had a Smodcastle, Santa Monica Boulevard, little uh, at the Complex Theater little white snake basement theaters um that uh sorry no offense to victims of the uh, tragedy um it was a screening of the shark is still working three and a half hour jaws documentary by michael j roddy uh at smog castle and after the screening um i see kevin across the way he's got crowd three deep he's behind a counter he's talking to everybody and taking pictures and being great and with my buddy who brought me and I look at Kevin across the way and like 20 feet away or whatever. Kevin looks at me and he goes, okay, I got a head nod. I'm so excited. I got a head <laughs> nod. So I come home and I tell my wife, I got a head nod from Kevin Smith. And he like, hey, what's up? Oh, my God. So so she's getting his uh, picture at uh, George Seagal's uh, Walk of Fame, his star uh, dedication ceremony. And Kevin Smith is presenting uh, George Seagal and, and, and uh, speaking. And uh, she's getting him. She goes, oh, my husband loves you. He's a big fan. Uh, Keith Coogan 
uh, and uh, Kevin goes, uh-huh. and she goes, you know, he was uh, Kenny, and uh, she was, and Kevin goes, I know who Keith Coogan is. <laughs> he goes, he goes, dishes are done, man. Uh, you know, he got, he said, uh, before I made movies, I watched a lot of movies, and anyone yeah. who was in, you know, that I saw up on screen before I started making movies is a whole, it's a different thing to him. So, uh, we tracked him down. Uh, they were doing, uh, Fat Man and Beyond. Oh, no, they were doing, um, his other podcast with Rolf Garman, uh, Babylon, Hollywood <clears throat> Babylon at uh, Hollywood Improv um, on Melrose. And uh, there's a back way to get in and alley. Well, it was the week that Harvey Weinstein had been exposed. And uh, Kevin was, it was a rough week. Let's just put it that way. So security was up uh, chasing me and my wife out of the back alley. We were like hiding behind a dumpster, <laughs> pretending to be the teenagers making out just to blend in. I blend in. And we're like, yeah, it's so, we're so cliche. We've seen too many movies. Oh my God. Kevin's circling three times. He probably like, spots us in the alley. And he's like, I don't know who these weird people are. Finally, security goes, what do you want? What do you want? And we had a gift for him. I had a dish. Dishes are done, man. I dishes are to done. Kevin. And I had a three page scene. Of Keith Coogan buying weed from Jay and Silent Bob outside the Chinese theater uh, in L.A. They're trying to raise money for what do they need money? They're going to sell weed. Uh, so um, uh, I uh, we wind up in front of Kevin. Uh, he goes, "Who are you?" And I go, Keith Coogan. He goes back to Kevin. He comes back. He goes, "Kevin, we'll see you now." So we run up, uh, and I give him the dish and the thing and the, you know the screen. And I go, "Hey, you know, here you're doing reboot." And, uh, you know, I don't know. I'd really love to be in. I don't even finish the sentence. And Kevin Smith goes, you're in, you're in, you're in. You don't have the job till the second paycheck clears. So you're standing on a mark in front of camera. You know, there's so many hoops and union and contracts and agents and crap to go through. But that night on the show, on the Hollywood Babylon, he went out and he goes, hey, you know, Ralph Garman's going to be in it. Keith Coogan, you know, ran into him outside the theater. and, and, And I'm like, Okay. Okay. <laughs> How does that happen? I don't have this number. I don't have, I don't know who, what agent, what, ca- I don't know who's, he's such an independent filmmaker. It's like, so I asked my agent, well, how do I get on? You know, he said I'm in. She goes, well, just find out who production is and then give him my number and then I'll work out with them and, you know, we'll get you on. Great. I really, to no avail. So I work as a tour guide at Sony Studio Tours. Across the street from the old lot, too, they've torn down and built homes there. But they have a Coogan Circle across the street from Sony, named after my grandfather. He had, was under contract to the MGM when it was MGM. So I get to tell people after, you know, here's the Esther Williams stage. Here's where they shot Air Force One. And here's my grandfather turned that into the schoolhouse because of the labor law. And uh, uh, so... Uh, Anyway, I'm on the lot at lunch and I look up and I see Jorts and Harry Cavs mm-hmm. step back into the stage. Now, keep in mind, his heart attack has happened. Me and my wife went to the nine o'clock show of uh, his uh, heart attack show. Right. And the seven o'clock show was letting out. And um, we go in and we sit, we wait and we wait. And they say, and they make an announcement, ladies and gentlemen. Kevin's gone to the hospital, please. And go home. It's over. There's no second show. And we were like, can we go to the hospital? Do we drive by? We're like, don't be those people. Um, 
and uh, he downed that Widowmaker. Mm-hmm. So I see him. It's a bit after, and you know, how are you? Glad you're alive. Yada yada. And I have the oh god, pain in the ass actor thing to go. Hey, listen, I talked to my agent. We don't know production company how to get in touch. Or thing. You said I could be in the movie. I'd love to, you know. And he goes, "Give me your phone." He just grabs my phone out of me and puts his number in there. It's like we'll talk and we'll hook it up. And uh, and I got on reboot. Very pleased with that. And you don't get the script. You get your dialogue the day that you're shooting. Very nerve-wracking. Wow. Yeah. That sounds... Any, anything else you got you want to ask? ask him oh, go to YouTube, watch the Quarantine Bunch. Uh, former child stars have their support group meeting on Zoom, which gets crashed by a deranged fan. Uh, go Watch the... Uh, the Rookie episode, uh, Poetic Justice. I play a uh, guy looking for a treasure buried in L.A. Gold baby online. There's clues. And I uh, get blown up with dynamite. Very great <laughs> guest role. Good ending. <laughs> um, yeah. My character's name was, was JJ. And I got blown up with dynamite. I didn't even notice it. I shot the whole thing. It's airing. And my wife goes, your name was JJ? I go, yeah. And she goes, like, dynamite? Yeah, it's like, yeah, JJ J. Uh, Walker. Yeah, I go, oh, yeah, that was that I'm, was funny. I'm I just got that. Not a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got on our own, which is on Amazon Prime. Erno O'Donnell, who is art director for Kevin Smith, uh, he uh helped co produce a series, Jersey Boys, whose parents are done with New York and retired to Florida, leaving them on their own. So 30 and 40 year old men who have to live on their own for the first time in their lives. I play a divorce attorney. Great stuff with Brian O'Halloran from Clerks uh, in episode six. Oh, wow. On our own. We've got, um, oh, what else to do? Oh, Team of Two. A buddy cop movie, but uh, he can't keep a partner. So he goes through 19 partners. I'm one of the partners. A Swiss detective named Detective Ooft. 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 Uh, and then um, Wrong Reasons, directed by Josh Rauch. Josh Roush directed Magnum Dopus, the making of Jane Silent Bob reboot. And uh, we were watching the making on Amazon Prime. And we go, that camera he's shooting the behind the scenes of is so, you could shoot a feature with that. A couple of months after shooting reboot, he calls me up and he goes, would you be in uh, Wrong Reasons? Co-starring Ralph Garman, Kevin Smith, uh, Harley Quinn Smith. Uh, it is a deranged fan kidnaps a Britney Spears pop star to get her off of all of the smack she's doing and clean her up. He knows it's going to end by cop, suicide by cop. He knows it's not going to end well. And uh, it is uh, done. It looks great. He says the sound's not mixed. It's only one of my lines that you can't hear. I don't care. Release it. Well, yeah, you... I'm, looking, I'm looking at the quarantine bunch now up here. It looks like uh, I reckon the, let's see, Danny Pintoro is up there. Jeremy Miller you uh who is ricky and i I know i'm that is dean uh tori spelling's ex okay okay and then there's a judy judy yep from judy norton from the waltons okay yes i see it now and then scotty scotty schwartz from the toy and kids yes and uh christmas story so i'm gonna have to check that i definitely got to check that out Anyway, anything you got more you got want to ask him, Warden? 
No, I just thank you for joining us. You sound like you're very busy, and I thank you for taking the time with us. Yes, definitely. And you got a lot of stuff out there I need to catch up on and start watching. Oh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I know some yeah. of the movies I've done, I could give you 20 bucks, and you couldn't find them online. <laughs> but uh, they're fun doing, and uh, you know, you make those connections and uh, work with fun people. And uh, sometimes you work on uh, stuff people see, and uh, it doesn't really matter. I mean... The I love the doing of it kind of even more than the end product or you know what happens after a movie comes out. Making a movie is really uh, collaborative and fun, challenging, um, and uh, and then at the end you have this kind of piece, you know, that everyone else can enjoy, and you hope that what happened on set transfers uh, to the screen. And sometimes you're on movies that are so fun to make, but they're crap. And sometimes right. you're on movies that are really, really difficult, but they wind up, you know, um, entertaining audiences. So that, that you know, it's different every day. Uh, you work with really fun, interesting, fascinating people and, um, and hear their stories as well. I'm show folk. You know, uh, movies is the last carnival. It's the last career you can work Find yourself working at three o'clock in the morning in the middle of the desert under a fake name, and it's all legal, and there's a W two, and taxes are involved. Um, it's a it's a sandbox, and it's um, uh, very influential, uh, but it's also necessary. People need uh, in the caveman days, the small village days, maybe the day and the hunt and the gathering, and at night you cook the boar or the pig or whatever, and then after the sun went down by the fire, the storyteller or the sage or the magi or the whatever, we still do that. Uh, we still have dinner and then watch primetime TV from 8 to 11. Mm -hmm. We still listen to each other's stories at the end of the day's hunt. And uh, so it's necessary. And the storyteller gets a little bit of the pig or the boar because they serve the village uh, in a different way. They don't thatch the roof or take care of the kids or hunt. But um, they help us understand uh, what we're doing. I know I take take it all very very seriously. And I had done movies of the week on McCarthyism and drunk driving and um, serious subjects and battered women and uh, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead has changed more people's lives personally. I've been approached by fans at autograph conventions, family online that they were a layabout stoner do good nothing sitting on the couch and they saw don't tell mom and they signed up for cooking classes and culinary academy and they're now a gourmet chef at a five-star resort in miami wow um you go kenny and this is an anecdote this is over and over and I, that is remarkable that of all the things don't tell mom the babysitter's dead of all affected the people's lives right the stoner guy was the one that influenced everybody so yeah but well, I was attracted to the arc that, yeah, he's a stoner guy, but he cleans up at the end. And all the kids yeah. do. Um, but, yeah, that's that's a – I still consider it subversive along the lines of Harold Mott or Silent Running or um, The Sting or uh, films that subvert expectations, uh, subvert society just a little way. And I think Don't Tell Mom – it, it's – it doesn't look down on the kids. 
the kids right. have oh you know, yeah you're right fun adult journey uh they grow up a little bit in front of your eyes um and uh and the dialogue i and joanna cassidy one of the best performances it's camp but it's believable it's relatable it's fun it's funny she's uh hysterical and 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 very quotable all right well we're not going to take up any more of your time but like i said before thank you so much mr coogan for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this uh you, you we, we've we've talked for about two hours now i know it's uh uh i could talk to you for a while for longer but you know i'm sure you got other things to do but anyway thank you again mr coogan Pleasure to meet you. you being on. Nice to meet you. And uh, maybe we'll have you on again. We'll talk. Maybe we'll do just a Toy Soldiers episode. What do you think about that? <laughs> maybe we can get maybe we can get Will Wheaton and Sean Aston up here. We'll do a, a commentary episode. We'll or watch it. And uh, yeah, you know. Warden, you need to we, we, we yes. can pull that out. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there. Let's monetize that on like Twitch or Rumble, whatever those things are called. Exactly. I don't know. Gotta exactly. Got to figure that out. Uh, what's the one? Uh, is it Twitch? No. Uh, I don't think it's Twitch. What is it, Ward? You know what it is? That you go on to my. I don't know what you're talking about. Here or an R. No, there's a thing where it's kind of private enough that you get away with the copyright issues. On, <laughs> Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat. No. Um, oh God, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, we'll see you That's on the dark assignment. web. That's an assignment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Thanks, like guys. Said, thank thank you. you. Thank you, Mr. Coogan. You have a great night. Guys, that is Keith Coogan on the fly. See ya.